five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh. And this is the WDMA. And we had people from several countries chime in <clears throat> at our meetup on Tuesday. So if you're not in Wisconsin, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to be talking about Australia today. So I don't think we have any supporting members from Australia, but we have some friends over there. And we're going to get to Mark Ritson, so let's dig in. Right? Here we go. Okay, this is a an, a cartoon from Down Under. And let's give it a watch. What a beautiful day to go snorkeling. You guys been out to the Great Barrier Reef before? The Great Barrier Reef? Huh? Here we are. <gasps> G'day. Uh, where am I? Australia. And you look like you need a holiday. Show us what you got. Let's go. Welcome to the Sydney Opera House. It's remarkable. Yep, it's amazing. Whoa! I love it. What is it? A wombat. Oh. <laughs> I see kangaroos. Me too. Come on. G'day, mate. Hear that? We're mates. G'day, my name is Freddie. Wow, there's nothing like Australia. Special, huh? It would make a great movie. <gasps> so what are you waiting for? Come and say g'day. We come from a land down under. Okay, there you go. Come and say g'day. I can't do Australian, <clears throat> but I know when they say water, they go, water. <laughs> They roll it around in their mouth. So every vowel has about six vowels in it. What a... <laughs> anyway, it just intrigues me, that's all. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a probably a, a wannabe Australian. Or what are they? Kiwi, they call it. No, that's, that's uh, New Zealand. I like there, too. Anyway, let's dig in and find out what Mark Ritson has to say about that ad campaign, now that you've seen it, okay? <clears throat> Don't listen to the industry sages... They're not your ad's target. That is something that I have been saying for decades. And in many cases, it made us a lot of money. Okay, so don't just say it. Okay, so <clears throat> a few years back, Mark did, a, did an interview, and somebody asked, how's Australia doing down under? And he said it's on fire. Uh, when the tragic bush, brush fires of 2019 and 2020 wiped out a huge part of the Australian bush, a big slice of its foreign and domestic travel business went with it. <clears throat> the bastard virus then spread far and wide, causing another two-year hiatus in travel demand. And that's not all, of course. I, I watch sailing channels. I don't really watch the news. Um, but, you know, two uh, lovely people with two kids came back to Australia. They're from Australia, grew up in central Australia. And um, though they tested negative to fly to Australia, when they got there, they were forced to quarantine for two weeks. Imagine you had two weeks of vacation. You could spend it in a hotel at your own expense, looking out the window and having food brought in. I think it cost them about $7,000 just to do that. Then they decided that they wanted to get home. And it's, you know, Australia's a big place. It'd be like landing in New York and being from, you know, Missouri, St. Louis or something. That's about the distance involved. And uh, they were forced to spend another two weeks. In, yeah, 
in quarantine. Australian citizens. They were actually this time put in a little camp with little houses just for people who didn't, you know, and then they would basically keep an eye on you and you weren't allowed to, you were allowed to go out to the pool or whatever it was. There was some recreation. I don't know if it had a pool, but anyway, or I think they got an Airbnb. I mean, they were locked down all over the place. They couldn't go anywhere. Never mind, Australia also banned the number one tennis player in the world from competing because he hadn't been properly vaxxed. And this was by the time they figured out that the vaccine didn't stop the spread, didn't do uh, as much as natural immunity. He thought he had had COVID before. So Australia, you know, I mean, if you want want some British heritage, you could go to Belize and you could still drive home if you had trouble, um, you know. It'd be a little bit of an adventure, I admit, <clears throat> but, you know, you just go up through Mexico and away you go, right? Just a Uber away from Texas. <laughs> Rick, you get a boat. <laughs> anyway, so Australia shot themselves in the foot plenty, and they went from high on my list of places I wanted to be or wanted to visit. My daughter lived there for about a year, two different trips. She managed to do five winters in a row. <laughs> Winter in Wisconsin, then winter in Australia, then winter in Wisconsin, then winter in Australia, then winter in Wisconsin. That's not easy. <laughs> yeah, it takes a six-month, two six-month stays in Australia, separated by summer. But anyway, so Australia decided they better do something about it. And we need to get travelers to take that critical step to book their holiday to Australia to experience everything we have to offer. Hopefully not everything, because, you know, that's right. Okay. Australia consistently ranks high on people's consideration list. I wonder, we'll get to the data at the, at the end, but um, so they launched this, they, they, you know, they launched the Tourism Australia's key international markets in October. They launched this cartoon, Ruby, a cartoon character, and Louie, a visiting unicorn. And they played We Come From the Land Down Under. There's a woman at the end. I don't know who that is, <laughs> but apparently she's famous, which illustrates Mark's point completely. You know, you don't have to know what's going on if you're the marketing guy. You can just know that the audience knows who that is. Australians were embarrassed by the cliche of a CGI kangaroo and the lame and embarrassing tone of the campaign. Well, you know, you've got to suspend reality when you're going to go from one spot in Australia to another, the Great Barrier Reef to the Sydney Opera House is probably two days travel, right? And Ayers Rock is in the literal middle of nowhere. It's like really, really not easy. And uh, but they make it all look really convenient. And like Disney World, you just you know go from one Epcot Center to uh, to uh, whatever it is, Magic Mountain. Okay, so uh, the other thing about CGI cartoons, of course, is that, you know, you don't have to pay union rates. They say what you tell them to say. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to work with them. So what's the campaign really about? The academics didn't like it either. Uh, it's about showing off the, the sites in Australia in a timely way, in a minute spot. That's what it's really about. And, you know, it's the kind of place you want to maybe take your kids. <clears throat> but he says, if that's the best we got, then let's all give up and go home. <clears throat> okay. 
But Christy Muddle from Dentsu, Australia, said, it's not about us. All was wonderful. It's about the rest of the world. It's for the rest of the world. And it's to remind them that Australia has some great sights and a 24-hour flight to get there. <laughs> but And proper marketers pointed out that those who live in Australia weren't the market for the ad trip. So Mark now Mark gets to the meat of things, and it's always about halfway into the article. Remember market orientation, the prime directive of our discipline? Find a market need and fill it. The first point of the de that definition of marketing, which is ages old, says people need stuff. If you're paying attention to what they need, you're on your way. It's a good start. Everything we think about a product isn't just potentially wrong. It's probably massively biased. We're the prime agents for the product. We're not the target. We're not the consumer. We're none of the target segments. We are the person selling the thing. And uh, this, should, this should be a simple thought, easily grasped. But so many marketers go naive and lose all marketing orientation so quickly and so permanently. They assume their years in advertising mean they can spot a great bit of packaging or a winning ad. Right. And so this is a graph, right? And this shows your canes. The pink is the canes uh, winners. And uh, the, the uh, pink, no, the pink is the canes lions. All ads are, are the, the green. Um, and the gold is the campaign turkeys, okay? And what Mark points out is that the campaign turkeys most of the time beat all ads in general and also beat the Canes winners. Okay, that's what this system shows. It's a little hard to understand. Okay, so there's a magazine called Campaign Magazine, and they allow a noted advertising professional to nominate a turkey of the week. And then they look at these turkeys and compare them with the set of all ads and discovered that the turkeys were significantly more effective on their rating system, which somehow measures some kind of effectiveness. I don't know what. These turkeys also outperformed the average cane, lions, and Grand Prix winners also. You read that right. The ads that the advertising industry selected as worst proved more effective than the ones that it selected as best. You know, I hear a lot from printing experts about how you should make your print run beautiful and lovely. And of course, I showed you last, I showed you yesterday, you know, Canada Post. And I have a whole folder. Let's see if I can see it here. I don't know if let's put it over here. I always forget to put it back. But right here, up above, right up up here, is a is a folder of USPS selected uh, direct mail pieces. And they're you know, they have electronics in them. They have oh, they're probably 30 bucks per per, per piece. You know, I'm sure you're going to mail millions of them. 
Although you might, you know, I I did work for IBM when they were launching one of their one of their us. It was actually for the system, for the AS400 system, and they decided to do a catalog. This is back in the day before the internet, and uh, they said, well, how much is a catalog, or how many businesses are there in America? And I said, well, you know, 14 million maybe, give or take, and about 10 million if you, you know, knock out the zero to 10 or something like that. Uh, employees, and they said, well, how much does a catalog cost? I said, well, you can do a nice one for about a buck. They said, you mean for a measly $10 million, we could reach every business in America, you know, of any size? And I said, yeah, sure, probably. Well, let's just do that. And I tried to explain to them that you might want to do test and roll out. You know, you might not have all your systems in place day one. You might want to find that out, you know, step it out. Well, we're not in charge of that. That's operations. That's their problem. They promise they're going to be ready when we're ready. And so, you know, they did it did a bang-up job. Um, after the first two days, they pretty much were out of stock on everything. And they couldn't answer the phone fast enough. When they finally did, they told people, well, they're, you know, we're out of stock on that. And so it took them several years to build back the credibility of that botched launch. But they you know, yeah, you can spend a lot on a mailing piece. but And your advertising executives will tell you that's what you need to do to make it memorable. But I've found consistently that worse paper works better. Splashes make the response device bigger. All that stuff can improve response. You make it clear what you're doing, what you're asking for, what you're selling. Anyway, <clears throat> you know, I'm not the creative guy you want to hire if you want to win awards, but we've made a lot of money over the years. So the ad industry, anyway, doesn't know what <laughs> works. And giving out separate awards for creativity and effectiveness makes zero sense. So 2022, this time of year, I was the judge, one of the judges for the International Echo Awards for the direct marketing what used to be the Direct Marketing Association. And uh, I guess I did it in. <laughs> I put an end to it accidentally. I didn't mean to. I tried to be very cooperative, right? Uh, but they decided after 82 years or something that they didn't need to connect creativity and effectiveness, which was the distinctive of the Echo Awards, that it connected the two dots together. And uh, that is kind of the heartbeat of direct marketing. So when we call ourselves the WDMA, Direct Marketing Association, what we're talking about is connecting creativity and effectiveness. How can we use our creativity to be more effective? And by more effective, we mean sales per piece, profit per piece, mainly. That's what we work in. And you can find all kinds of modelers that work on clicks or work on or work on uh, return on ad spend, but we work on profitability, EBITDA. We take out the cost of order processing, we take out the cost of goods, we take out the cost of the advertising, and we find out what you're really making, what the CFO can take to the bank at the end of the day. The former creativity feeds into the latter, and the latter is all that ultimately matters. So, good for you. Okay, so how do we avoid this? Marketers need to avoid sniffing in their own armpits. <laughs> when you spend eight hours a day fixated on your brand, browsing industry websites, and hanging around 
with other equally addled people for a decade or more, you don't become an industry expert. You become a professional idiot. How many idiots are working for you, would you like to know? I wrote to a COO, a fractional COO, and I said, if you suspect your marketing people are idiots, give me a call. We can help you find out. I've done that job over and over and over. And, you know, they're all nice people. I'm not saying that they're, I'm not saying that they're evil. They just, most of them don't have any training. They don't even know about what cost of goods is, especially the digital people. You make all the wrong calls. You pull campaigns long before they've had a chance to be effective. You grow t tired of distinctive assets when the target market is only starting to grow accustomed to them. You focus on your brand purpose and ignore basic product performance. You lose, lose, lose because you forgot your founding principle. Thou art not the consumer. We had a great time talking in the uh, talking about this in the meetup. You know, force your marketing people to come to the meetup. Marketing orientation, meaning listening to the customer, is the first step, and then and then gathering data. And what that means is testing. Testing, testing, testing. And so uh, Sarah Fletcher and I were talking about, you know, the first thing I say to somebody when they have some idea that they think might help their marketing is, well, how can we test it? You know, we talked about that case study earlier this week, I think, or, or late last week about the Lovesack campaign where, where Patrick, the VP of marketing, said, you know, I don't, I think our main problem is people don't know who we are, so we should be you know, doing broadcast media, doing, you know, we shouldn't be mailing, wasting money mailing to our customers who have already bought from us and know our product. I said, well, you might be right. That's a pretty good point. That's probably one of the better questions I've ever been asked is, does that make any sense? And I said, we can test it. They, he said, you could? And I said, yeah, we'll just mail most of them, and, but not mail all of them and see the difference. And we found at first with a tight match, we found a 300% return on investment, EBITDA, and with a looser match, because we noticed there was a lot of addresses that were very, very, very similar to the people we mailed, like next door neighbors. And so we loosened it up a bit, and then we had a 900%. And what we found was that the customers were our advocates. If we gave them something to hand out, they would hand it to their neighbor when they came over for coffee. And they said, where'd you get this coach? Oh, here, look, right in here. And we got more money from those people than we did from the customers. So Patrick was mostly right, mostly right. But the customers were doing things that we didn't expect, and it was really profitable, and it grew the, the company like crazy. The only way to be sure is to check with the market, and that's what direct marketing is about beyond anything else. Okay, We know how to test in the marketplace. It's great that Tourism Australia did a lot of testing, and here comes that. Okay, Tourism Australia tested uh, the tested and tested and tested. Okay, but it's all in laboratory situations. In direct marketing, we figure out how to do the testing in the real world, and so it's one notch better. It's difficult in TV, but it is possible to do it uh, with test markets and with some other things. Uh, first, that their advertising was going to be well liked by the target. Second that it was going to drive, actually drive outstanding demand over the long term. And it was going to be exceptionally successful. And here's some of the results. 
U.S. exceptional, U.K. exceptional, Singapore exceptional, South Korea really exceptional, 5.9 on a scale of 6, I guess. Japan also 5.9 exceptional. So the only one that didn't work was France because, you know, the French know that they have the best of all possible worlds. <laughs> the... <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think of the philosopher that was, <laughs> but I, I, I read Candide, and I think that might be set initially in France. <laughs> it's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. Anyway, the campaign has had double-digit impact across key markets. Uh, consideration for Australia as a vacation destination in the next four years jumped from an average of 25% to 37 and... Uh, the intention to visit, which again, you know, this is the foo-foo stuff they have to measure, uh, went from 14 to 27%, like 100% improvement after seeing the ads. Come Say Good Day is a fantastic bit of advertising, not because Mark thinks so, but because the target market thinks it's good and because it achieved the objective designed to deliver. We control everything except the one thing that matters, the ultimate response to all our efforts. Think about that. And if you haven't ever encountered direct marketing before, I really encourage you to, to uh, give me a call. Uh, I worked with the United States Postal Service. They hired me and paid me quite a bit of money to work with their salespeople. And bird dog, people who might think direct marketing or mail didn't apply to them. So we worked with Kaiser Permanente. We worked with Bush Gardens. We worked with uh, Panasonic, Circuit City, Oakley's. That was fun because I actually went with Elena Neely out to Oakley and the Jolly Rogers was flying over the uh, corporate headquarters, which was designed after the movie Brazil. <laughs> it was it was bizarre, bizarre. But anyway, we did a couple of dozen of those. And in every case, uh, we did some mail. Um, you know, we, we, we were right about to... We were right about to roll that program out to the whole country when, uh, because we were the results were so positive and the regime regime changed and that was it. It's a long story, but anyway, the bottom line is, is that everybody can learn something by testing. You, you know, you, you you think about test markets, you think about uh, focus groups, you think about a lot of tools. Direct marketing is perhaps the best tool. And if you're thinking about doing machine learning and AI, direct marketing is the only one that assures you of a, of a valid label data set, which is why we've been doing machine learning successfully, making millions of dollars while the rest of the world is failing at it. So give me a call. Go over to the WDMA. The show notes will be there in a few minutes. Bye-bye.